Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It really is truly good to see you. We're starting a new series tonight, and uh, I hope that you will enjoy it. I want to start by reflecting back to my early days with my grandfather on my mother's side. My grandfather, we called him granddad. We had a grandpa and we had a granddad just to distinguish between them in our homes. And that was partially divided right along the southern culture, northern, northern culture line. The grandpa was from North Carolina and the granddad was uh, from Indiana, then lived out in Arizona and Wyoming. So my granddad, I remember visiting him at Christmas uh, and I was very young, and so young that I didn't really know what B.O. was. I crawled up into his lap and I thought, oh, that's what a man smells like. I hope I smell like that one day. I found out later that was just B.O. But I, I, cr- I crawled up into his lap. He'd been out in the garden working in the heat uh, of, the, of the Phoenix sun. And I had a toy that had a rope attached to it, but it was all tangled up and knotted. And I couldn't figure it out. And he saw me struggling with it a minute ago. And he said, hey, bring me that toy. Bring me that toy, David. Let's work on that. So I brought it up and I sat in his lap and he said, you know how to undo a knot? And clearly I didn't. I just looked up at him with big eyes and just, this is a great, you know, have a moment with my granddad. I was in North Carolina where I lived. He's all the way over in Arizona. So we hardly ever see each other. And here I am sitting in his lap. You know, I just eating up the attention. Just didn't care. I don't even know if I answered yes or no. I just looked up at him and he said, well, you untie a knot by starting with the only thing that you can actually move. That's always stuck with me ever since. Whenever I start to untie an actual knot, I'm looking for the one thing that I can actually move, starting with that loose end and one little bit after a little bit, moving what I can. If you're human, which most of you here are, then over the last few weeks, you've had a knot you didn't know how to untie. Now, it might have been a question you didn't know how to answer. Sometimes we just have questions that we don't have answers for. That doesn't, it doesn't matter whether we're young or whether we're old. Now, sometimes uh, what happens is we act like we have the answer, but inside we know we really didn't have the answer and we're just bluffing our way through it. But you know, if you had a question, you weren't able to answer. It might have been a problem that was very difficult for you to solve. Now, some problems are easy, often because they're mechanical or they're simple. And one of the most difficult problems is people. Whenever you put people into the mix, things get more complicated, don't they? And so sometimes it's not just a problem you can't solve, it's a situation. You just can't figure out how to act in. If you're human, you've probably had over the last few weeks a question you can't solve, a a, a problem you don't know how how to solve, and, and and a situation that was too sticky and you just didn't know how to deal with it. That is the struggle of wisdom. For the next few weeks, we're going to walk through, and not doing every verse by verse, but walk through sections and themes in the book of Proverbs, that book in scripture that helps us walk in the way of the wise. And it's kind of like sitting in my grandfather's lap 
and hearing him say, you know how to untie a knot? You start with the only thing you can actually move. For me, that became a proverb. I've quoted again and again in all kinds of situations in life. Now, you know some American proverbs, but let me just see if you can fill them in. Let's just do a little quiz. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Now, why in the world are we talking about this? I just want to ask. Everybody seems to say it and all. We all chuckle about it. That's sociopathic behavior. I just, just want to mention that when you torture other people's pets, this is like the definition of, okay, uh, that's our proverb, all right. Strike while the iron is hot. You're doing great on this quiz. You're good Americans. Uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But what if they're more expensive birds? What if they're plumper birds? What if they're tastier birds? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. There's wisdom in that. Do you hear it? Let's see, you, know, you won't even know that one or that one. I don't know why they said that's an American one. I've never heard it. So, you know, maybe you're more American than me. Don't make a mountain out of a... Now, have you ever had moles in your yard? I'm just going to tell you right now for that proverb, molehill is still a molehill and a molehill is a pain. And don't try to make uh, my molehill not seem like it's a big deal because when you got moles in your yard, it's kind of a big, but it's not a mountain. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Every silver, every gray cloud has a, I gave it away, doggone it. People who live in glass houses, there are plenty more fish in the sea or where that came from. What? What was that? Put him over where that came from. Okay. All right. That's like when you're getting a whooping or something, you know, I don't know what do you mean. That's not a proverb. Okay. The early bird. All of these are cultural proverbs. They're gatherings over time of little bits of insight that we've had in our culture. Now you may or may not know this. Not every culture knows those proverbs. So when I go to another country and I'm preaching for one of the first times, one of my common practices is to look up their proverbs and then quote them in the sermon so they hear their culture's wisdom coming back to them. They don't use always the same proverbs as we do. And those proverbs we just shared, just to make sure that you know, because some of you don't know, they're not in here. So some of them aren't the way God thinks, they're the way we think. So here's the beauty of that, that's the first little beauty about the book of Proverbs. This is in the inspired canon, the source and norm. These were gathered, yes, from across cultures, yes, from thousands of years, yes, from millions of grandpas and granddads all over the ancient Middle Eastern culture. They were gathered by Solomon and written, some of them by Solomon, they were gathered by Hezekiah, some of them by the men of Hezekiah. They were gathered by Acha and others that are mentioned in the book of Proverbs. They were gathered from all over the place, but we know that by the Spirit of God, they were ordained to be in our book to guide us in thinking God's way forever. Now that's cool. These are proverbs that we can use to untie all kinds of knots. Now, let me tell you what the book of Proverbs isn't and what these proverbs don't do, what they're not before we get started, because they get misused sometimes. So here's three things that Proverbs 
are not, if you're taking notes. Number one, Proverbs are not promises that are guaranteed. They're not. So, uh, yes, I said that these are inspired. Yes, I would tell you they're infallible. Yes, I would tell you the Spirit uses them every time you read them, if you let them. Yes, I would tell you that you can lean on them, you can stand on them, you can stomp on them, you can fall down on them, and they will hold you up. They, but they're not promises. Although they're sometimes treated that way. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not run away from it, will not depart from it, depending on your version. Now, come on, have you lived long enough? Is that an absolute promise that's guaranteed? Now, maybe it's the way things generally work. This is a wise way of acting, and statistically speaking, I could give you sociological statistics that by and large, if you raise someone in the faith, they will eventually return to it even if they leave it. But there's going to be a long time in between for many of them where we wonder if that prodigal will return. And some never do. These aren't uh, promises, they're proverbs, and there is a difference between a promise and a proverb. When God makes a promise, thus saith the Lord, thus declares the Lord, so it shall be, by my own self I swear, by my name I swear, those kinds of things we leave. But this is a proverb, this is wisdom gathered across the ages too. Proverbs are not formulas that always work. Just because it's in there doesn't mean you can use it like a, a little vending machine. Oh, where's the proverb? And let's just, I'm just going to find a random one just for fun. Um, let's see. Hmm. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Well, that means then that everybody who gathers wealth uh, by wrong means will eventually give it all away. It'll be gathered for the poor, right? No, sometimes they keep it all the way till the time they die. Now, if I flip that around and try to make it into a formula for myself, but let me gather wealth the right way. And, and then I if I do things the right way and gather it with the right interest, then I will keep it forever and God will never take it from me. No, you might do everything right and go bankrupt when you're 55. It's not a formula that always works. Well, Dave, I was getting excited about the series of Proverbs, and now after just two points, I'm no longer as excited. Uh, we'll get to some better stuff, but I just want to make sure we don't use these wrongly. Uh, as one person said, the wise make Proverbs. Fools keep quoting them. <laughs> and usually in the wrong way, at the wrong time, to support their wrong actions. Number three, Proverbs are not simple statements. Easily understood. There, three things Proverbs are not. If you've paid attention over time, there's some Proverbs, if you've read them through, that don't make sense on the first reading, that you don't understand right away. There are other Proverbs that seem simple and easy, but if you read them again and again and again, it seems like every time you turn them, they're like a diamond that you just saw a new facet of. Oh, I didn't realize there was another side to that. Or you read farther in the Proverbs and you find another proverb that seems to be its exact opposite. That is true in a different situation. And this proverb is true in this situation. And that proverb is true in that situation. And how do I know which situation I'm in? 
and you turn both of them and find a new facet each time you do. Well, Dave, come on. What, what are Proverbs then? Here, simple statement about what Proverbs are. Proverbs are condensed experience in portable form. Now, that's true pretty much of all Proverbs, not just our book of Proverbs, as, a, as we might say uh, more academically, as a genre of literature, Proverbs are this, condensed experience, phrased in a portable, carryable, packable, easily moved, easily remembered, easily used form. Are you familiar with these? Oh, we got the French going. Bouillon, yes. And just in case you are curious about these bouillon cubes, they were actually created by a gourmet French chef uh, quite some time ago. So if you're wondering why we, we use things, words like bouillon cubes, it, bouillon cubes, uh, it's because it came from our gastronomical experts across the sea. The French, trying to find a way to make stock soup much more easily became very popular around the time of World War I because the advertisements for it and the sending it overseas and then the soldiers who came back and kind of liked, got used to liking this portable soup as it was called at the time. What a bullion cube is, is chicken stock flavoring in a little square. It's got sodium in it and chicken fat and dried cooked chicken and all other kinds of things in a little golden package. It's salty. And what you do with this condensed chicken flavor is you throw it in a pot full of water, not full, the right proportions, and you boil it, and before you know it, the whole room smells like chicken soup. And if you sip it, it tastes like chicken soup. If you just ate this straight, that would be a strange thing to do. Proverbs are like bullion cubes. All of that experience condensed down into a small package in a portable form that you can take with you and throw it into life and back over time comes out the experience that was condensed into it. You can't live long enough to gain the wisdom that is in the book of Proverbs on your own. Thousands of years of cultural experience condensed into tiny little cubes. You can't live long enough, but transferred into a single jar into your hand, the jar of the book of Proverbs is all of that wisdom. If you will just take the time one by one to unwrap it, throw it in to the context of life and let the experience begin to emerge. Okay, let's look at Proverbs itself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, if you haven't already turned there, halfway through your Bible is the book of Psalms. The very next 
uh, book is the book of Proverbs, if you brought your physical Bible, which I encourage you to do every time you come to church, if you can. You can also turn it on on your devices, that's fine, or it will be um, on the screen. I want to read some, a portion of Proverbs chapter 1 from the NIV, actually, because uh, even though I carry often an ESV and study from it often, the NIV has a very good way of translating it. I'll read from several different versions. I want to point out something to you from the very first chapter of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Uh, pause for a second. This is a heading for the first section of the book of Proverbs, doesn't cover the whole. Some people read that first verse and then think all of them are from, uh, the, from Solomon, the, the son of David. Not, not true. You'll see the headings as you read through the rest of Proverbs. They come from other places, as you already heard me say. Moving on, for, verse number two. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. In other words, let me just read some things to you. Wisdom, instruction, insight, prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, making simple or foolish people prudent, making the young or inexperienced ones knowledgeable and discreet. That's what Proverbs are for. Did you catch that repeated word? For, 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 for. I like the way the NIV translates it in that way. For this reason, if for some reason you ever decided to pull up a Bible hub on the internet and look at the interlinear of the Hebrew in Proverbs chapter one, which you'll probably never do. But if you ever did, you might see uh, this right here. Let me just, if you'll pull up that next image for me. This is verse two and verse three in the interlinear. So you can go and look very smart to your friends sometime soon. Just go to biblehub.com, click on the interlinear, and you can look at the Hebrew, and it actually spells it out for you how to say it. La da'at, right there at the top, and you can act like you know Hebrew. That'll be fun. You'll just impress people at a party or, or drive all of your friends away. One or the other, take the experiment, see which way it goes. If you pay attention to it, now remember Hebrew, you read from right to left, not from left to right. But if you start at the beginning of verse two, and you're reading from again, from right to left, you'll notice, and I've highlighted them for you, both in the Hebrew and in the transliteration in the English, a repeated pattern that the NIV is trying to model by its repeated use of the word for this little lamet, which is the Hebrew word, uh, letter for L, the L sound. It's repeated, boom, 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 to know, to perceive, to receive. Now, what does that mean? If you see that pattern, you wouldn't know, but if you looked in the old uh, Hebrew text that I learned from Dr. Bill Mounts, who's just a classic Hebrew teacher, then you'll see something like this next slide that talks about the infinitive construct in the Hebrew, which you don't need to memorize. This is just a geek little moment for a few of you on the side, two of you care, and I like both of you. So the infinitive construct may be used with the Lamed to express purpose, intention, or result. If the Lamed is there and the Shvah is there, uh, that's the little two dots underneath the Lamed, then it is often being used to express purpose, intention, or result. When used in this way, the keywords to, that's the translation that ESV, by the way, doesn't use the word for, uses the word to, or in order to, may be used in your translation. But what does all that mean? Gobbledygook, Dave, gobbledygook. Well, this is why the NLT translates that same section this way. Now, let me read the NLT version to you. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. That's verse one. Uh, verse two, their purpose, see it? 
is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. That's their purpose. So one little side note, often when you see different ways of translating it between different versions, they're trying to express something to you that's in the original language that you could say several different ways in ours. That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. And let me put it this way. The purpose of a proverb is to put wisdom into your life before it begins to boil. If you turn to the Proverbs frantically in the moment when you most need them, if you haven't already had that stewing in the stockpot of your soul, it's like opening this and eating one for dinner. And very often it will not only be distasteful in your mouth, the result will be distasteful to others as they watch. The point of a proverb, the purpose of a proverb is to put wisdom into your life before it begins to boil. To have wisdom in your life before you come up against a question you're not sure how to answer. To have wisdom in your life before you bump up against the problem you just can't figure out how to solve. To have wisdom in your life before you get into the sticky situation that in that situation you're not quite sure how to act. Often, you see, wisdom is a way of walking that is the act exact opposite of what we feel like doing. Proverbs aren't driven by emotion. Very rarely do you see emotion in the Proverbs except when it's talking about the fool. The fool is hot-headed. The fool is reckless. The fool is angry. The fool gives full vent to that anger. The one who is driven by their emotions does what they feel like doing in the moment is a fool. The one who's put wisdom into their life ahead of time so that when they come into a moment and feel like doing something, says, no, wait a second, that's what I feel like doing, but I know what happens to people who act that way, and I don't want that in my life. That means then that if you haven't been internalizing these proverbs, there's been days in recent memory where you didn't have the wisdom you needed. If you haven't been reflecting on them and allowing them to simmer in the stockpot of your soul, they might not do you the good you need in the very moment that you need it. Uh, let me just say uh, another little three-something. First, we said three things Proverbs are not. These are, uh, Proverbs will also not give you wisdom without three things. Proverbs do give you wisdom, but they won't give you wisdom without three things. And this is coming for me from reflection on this passage and other passages in Proverbs that we, that we just read. Number one, you have to give it attention over time. Proverbs 1, verse 5. Let, now I'll read from the ESV where I most normally study these days. Let, let the wise 
here and increase in learning. And the one who understands, wait, the one who already understands, wait, 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 why do they need the proverb? Let the wise listen? Well, they're the ones that don't need the Proverbs, right? They already have the Proverbs. They're in them. It's been boiling in them. They have already unpacked the bullion cube. It's already a stockpot, right? No, no, no. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance through these pages. That means probably that Solomon had these close to mind all the time. And perhaps that wisest of individuals until his heart turned away from God was wise because of the things in these pages. Then perhaps that one of the most successful kings in all of history was successful because he kept himself here. And when his life began to falter, maybe it was because he thought he already knew what was here. It needs attention over time. Number two, Proverbs will not give wisdom without prayerful thought. In verse 7, building upon what I was just saying about Solomon and perhaps quoting the key verse I wished he would have focused on again and again in his later years. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Prayerful thought. Not just staying up in your own intellect and finding your own insights and thinking, look how wise I've become. Because the one who thinks they're wise in their own eyes is a fool. Keep reading the Proverbs and you'll find that several times. The moment you think you're wise, you're not. That's the crazy paradox of the wisdom that Proverbs presents us. The moment you stop fearing God, oh, because he's good and he's kind and he's merciful and he's loving and he's my papa, Yes, he is. All of those things. And that a moment that allows you to trivialize him, tame him, lose your fear of him, is the moment you've already begun playing the fool. He is an awesome, majestic, powerful, all-holy God. To view him today would destroy me today. If I saw him, I would be done I am not holy the way he is holy. Even the holy beings in heaven who have never sinned cover themselves in front of his holiness and say there is a holiness beyond holiness which he has obtained. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will not lose the fear of the Lord when we get to heaven. It will, in that sense, reverentially, worshipfully increase. I asked, my daughter Ella is back from school, so joyful to have her back. She's just a joy in my life. We're just sitting around the dinner table tonight. New Proverbs was coming. And I said, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what's the end? What's the end? And she said, well, we're going to go into eternity. 
and be with him forever. So maybe there isn't one. <laughs> that wasn't the answer I expected. Oh, Dave, wise in his own eyes. What a beautiful answer. The fear of the Lord, if it's the right fear, has no end. To turn to these Proverbs in the fear of the Lord and with prayerful thought say, Lord, please don't let me miss it. Lord, have mercy on me. If you helped me gain wisdom, it wouldn't be because I earned it or worked hard enough at it or I'm smarter than others or better than others. If you gave me wisdom, it would only be because of your mercy and kindness and graciousness because you looked upon me with love and you looked at me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son, so that you didn't see my sin, but instead you saw righteousness, the righteousness of God. Would you look at me that way and give me wisdom prayerfully? Prayerfully give them thought. Proverbs will not give wisdom with, unless you give it attention over time, unless you give it prayerful thought. And three, third, give it intentional action. Intentional actions. Verses 23 through, through 32. A little bit longer section. But this is Wednesday night. Are you okay with me reading a little longer section? I'm good. I love you. All right, you couldn't really say no then, could you? You, you can walk out. If, if this is too long of a scripture for you, you can go ahead and walk out while I'm not watching. Won't judge you, but somebody else will, but that's okay. Uh, verse 23. If you turn at my repu- reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you, though, and you refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. This is wisdom speaking, by the way. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, hear it again, would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency. Do you know what complacency means? Just satisfied in a negative way. It's just fine for things to keep going just the way they're going. Complacency. You know, uh, your bed's not made and your room's a mess and you're fine with that. Just wanted to throw the parents a bone here tonight. There, there you go. That's, that's being complacent. Complacency of fools destroys them. Just being complacent. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And be at ease without dread of disaster. Oh, what a great passage. What a powerful warning coupled with a beautiful statement of hope. But the key is intentional action all along the way. To get wisdom into your life before your life begins to boil. If you wait until the time that it boils and you haven't been responding to correction and reproof and discipline and guidance and teaching and instruction. If you haven't been allowing that to savor the stock pot of your soul all the way along. Then when disaster strikes, 
wisdom just laughs. Then when you most need it, you call out and the heavens seem silent. Why won't you help me figure out how to solve this problem? You didn't listen 30 times before. Why should I answer now? Why won't you answer this question? I sent it to you 30 times before. Why should I answer it again? I don't know what to do in this situation. You could have. But you didn't want to learn the building blocks of that all along the way for the last 30 years. Why should I magically fix your life now? Attention over time. Prayerful thought. Intentional action. Now, some of you know I'm, I love fly fishing. It's my favorite hobby. I don't always get to do it as often as I want because that's the way favorite hobbies are. <laughs> that's just the way they are. How could you ever get enough of whatever the favorite hobby is? The person who taught me to fly fish, he's a dear friend of mine, actually one of my best friends, if not best friend in the world, uh, often calls me his twin soul. We finish each other's sentences. His name's Rod. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, had been fishing quite some time, and was willing to take me under his wing and teach me. For the first two years of fly fishing, most of your life is knots. The knots you can't figure out how to tie that you're supposed to have, and the knots that you can't figure out how to untie that you're not supposed to have. When you cast that thing, and you fling it back and then fling it forward, it seems to loop over itself more often than not, tangle up on you or the rod or the brush behind you or the person who's trying to teach you or some other thing more than it goes where you want it to go. And the smallest of actions here creates the greatest of responses nine feet up in the air on the end of that wobbly stick. It can be the most frustrating of experiences. And there's all kinds of different knots. The the way to untie this knot is different than the way to untie that knot. And over those two, three, four years when I was first learning to fly fish, I watched again and again as Rod patiently said, nope, just bring it over to me. Let me see that. No problem. Happens to everybody. Boy, I've went through so many of these. Man, how many times did I tie myself up? Man, he's just like hanging all over around my neck as he starts to move and untie it. And then after the first few times of that same thing, he would start to teach me how to untie it myself. Well, here's the, the best way on this one is you take the fly line that's on your rod, you loop it back over the tip, bring it over the front, and magically as the hook flies through, you're fishing again. Look at that, Dave. Oh, no, this one's different. Actually, you kind of just do a flip loop and then a flip loop and then a flip loop, and now it's unwrapped. And now you're bringing that up over the top, and now you're back in fishing, Dave. Oh, this one's different. Kind of you're hung up down there on the bottom. Lift your rod up high, then bring it all the way forward and snap it like that. No, no, a little farther. Snap. And all of a sudden, I'm loose, and I'm going again. I can hear his voice with me every time on the river now, even when he's not with me, and one of those knots happens. And sometimes when I'm with my daughter and we're fishing, I say, oh, no, here's how you do this one, Ella. This one, you know, Rod taught me this. You take the line over this, you loop it over the top, and flip it, the hook comes back through, and look, you're back to fishing. Happens to all of us. Happened to me so much. No, don't worry about it. That's what I'm here for. Go ahead, cast it again. Oh, that hooked me, but that's all right. Let's just pull that out. It took time. It took thought. It took intentional practice. And you can tell when somebody actually really wants to learn to fish 
and when somebody just wants you to take them fishing and do the work. I'll stand all day in a river and tie and untie a thousand knots to help someone who really wants to learn how to do it themselves. I don't really want to spend one hour of my favorite hobby helping someone who only wants me to do the work and doesn't really want to learn how to do it for themselves. If you're human, your life has knots. And you can crawl up into your papa's lap and let him show you patiently and slowly over time how you untie this kind, how you untie that kind, what you do in this situation. No, it's a little bit different here, and let me show you. But here's the thing. He won't keep doing things for you forever. He's not a bad parent. What he wants is for you to get wisdom inside of you. And it will give him great pleasure and joy to sit on the side and see the knot you used to not be able to untie come apart so easily and quickly for you. It will give him even more joy when he watches you teach others to the same. So here's my wisdom invitational for our season together in the book of Proverbs. Three things I want to invite you to do. Read one chapter of Proverbs a day. There's 31 days in the month, as many of you know this. So whatever the day of the month is, today is, I believe, the 19th, isn't it? Isn't that what we read today? From my memory, I think it was chapter 19. Read that chapter. If you miss the 19th, that's okay. On the 20th, wake up and read chapter 20. If you, if you, on the 21st, forget, that's okay. On the 22nd, get up and read the 22nd. You'll come back to it next month if you stay on this invitational. Billy Graham said, every day I read five psalms. That helps me know how to relate to God. And one chapter of Proverbs. That helps me know how to relate to my fellow man. He said he did it every day. He lived an okay life. Number two. Find one proverb, and by that I mean one verse or section of verses that's one nugget, one bullion cube, to reflect on and pray over for that day. Just take one. You're not going to understand the whole chapter. You're going to eat all the whole jar of bullion cubes in one day. You're not going to get it all. You're not going to understand it all. So take one and reflect on it, meditate on it, and pray for it. In the fear of the Lord, try to, with intentional action, live it out. Think about what context would this apply to? What situations do I know that this affects? What problems might this help me solve? How might this help me act in the right way when I'm tempted to act in the wrong way? How am I doing this not that way, and how can I change? prayerfully think about it. Three, try to apply it during the day. That's it. Read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Find one proverb to think on, pray over, reflect on, and try to apply it anywhere you can during the day. Now, if you do that just while reading the book of Proverbs, it will do you a little bit of good. And hopefully it will give you a taste of the chicken soup for the soul (laughs) that Proverbs actually is much more deeply than that you might think. But what I'm really hoping is 
you'll like that taste so much, you'll never stop doing it. I think for 25 years, most days, I've read a chapter of Proverbs a day. It has kept me from doing some of the stupidest things that everything in Dave wanted to do. And sometimes in the very moment when I'm starting to do something that is foolish, I hear that voice of wisdom calling out to me. You who are simple, come in here. The table is prepared. The food is ready. Just come and dine. Uh, Proverbs 8.34 says, Those who listen watching daily at my doorstep. If you're looking for a verse for that, that's one that I always remind myself of. Wisdom says, watch daily at my doorstep. Listen daily, and I will open myself to them. Wisdom does not hide herself from those who seek after it with the fear of the Lord. Okay, now's the moment. Uh, If we were trying to raise a million dollars, this would be a fearful moment, but we're not raising any money tonight, so smile. We're not raising any money. There's no ask for money, but this is the time for decision. I actually want to know if you're going to do it. Would you be willing to read a chapter of Proverbs a day, find one to reflect on and pray over, and try to apply it all day long? If so, just raise your hand. Just say, I'm going to do it. Let's go on this wisdom invitational together. I think you'll be blessed. Nope, I know. Because the word of God does not return void. And that actually is a promise. Lord, thank you so much for the chance to be together with spiritual family. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. With our lifted hand, we were saying uh, that we intend to do something good. But the fear of the Lord reminds us that we are human and frail, that we are forgetful and sometimes complacent, lazy and slothful. So we ask you, Lord, to help us make good on the promise uh, that we might be fickle about. Would you remind us in the morning or in the evening when the time comes that we have to give to it, when we could turn to distracting media, to another video or a show or a game, when we could do the wordle or something else, help us to turn to the word. And Lord, give us what you alone can give us, faith and fear, not the wrong kind of fear, not not running from you, but reverential awe in the face of you that draws us to you, but with respect. And in this journey, Lord, we ask that you would make us wise. And I believe that will happen in such a way that we don't always feel it, but others will see it. And because of that, your name will be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? The the close of the service, Delvin's going to close. But I just want to invite you to make a note of that or set a reminder or anything else you can do that will make it more likely that you'll be faithful to the promise you just made 